Right, good morning, guys. Come on. Good morning, guys. <laughs> My name is Steve. Um, maybe I need to reintroduce myself. You guys are treating me like a stranger here. Um, my name is Steve, and I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I have been out of the pulpit for the last four weeks, and it's very exciting to be back up here this morning. Um, and uh, I've been um, uh, traveling a little bit. We were in California for a couple weeks, visiting my family. That's where I'm from, and so I got to go spend some time with my mom, my dad, and my brother, and, and go to the Acts 29 uh, conference um, out there. It's not a bad place to have to go. Uh, it was pretty sweet, um, but it was super encouraging. I mean, it was super encouraging. God really uh, spoke to my heart, um, really, over the last four weeks as I've just kind of stepped out of some of the normal rhythms that kind of drive my, my schedule and drive my time and, and um, re-engage. Um, it's been really exciting. Here's the thing. We're coming into an incredible season of opportunity as, as Trailhead Church. Um, we are, uh, this was supposed to be our first Sunday in our new building, um, and uh, like the third time this was supposed to be our first Sunday in our new building, um, but it really was supposed to be our first Sunday. Uh, we are now scheduled, and this really should be our first Sunday, we are scheduled for August 21st, so four weeks from now, um, to be in our new building. It is so close. Um, but here's the thing, man, as we're moving into this new season, what kind of God was stirring in my heart over the last couple of weeks is that um, the building itself, while it's exciting, um, I'll let you know the air conditioning is way better over there. Um, it, <laughs> um, and on hot days like this, that's, that's good news. Um, but here's the thing. The building itself, while it's exciting, isn't the most exciting thing. Um, I really feel like God's getting ready to do some cool stuff. Um, in our community and through our community. And uh, the focus of our, of our retreat, our conference in California, was revival, which is a phrase, that, uh, a word that I've not used a lot, um, an idea that I've never really, I don't know, been drawn to. And I'm going to explain more of that later. Um, but our, our speaker, man, he just opened it up in a way, and Spirit spoke to my heart. Here's the thing, revival, this is the way he defined it. It's gospel work. It's the work the gospel does normally at an increased speed and over an increased scope. It's the, what the gospel normally does, but at an increased speed and over an increased scope. And there are seasons of revival, seasons in which the Spirit is, is just acting um, through the Word in ways that increase the, the harvest, right? The, the, the soil is more fruitful, and uh, the, the community is more responsive. And I was just led over the last couple of weeks to pray specifically for that, that we would move into a season of revival, right? Now, here's the thing. You can't work revival. You can't just push a few buttons. You can't just work methods. And that's one of the reasons I've, I've shied away from in the past is, is the church has at times turned it into revivalism, which is really just trying to pull the right levers, hit the right emotional keys, uh, manipulate but here's the thing, we can't work revival, we can't make it happen, but we can consecrate ourselves for it. Like we can prepare ourselves for it and just open it up and let the Spirit do what the Spirit is going to do. Because here's the thing, way more important than getting the right building is making sure we're the, we're the right people to be in it, right? Way more important than having great air conditioning is to make sure we have a people that are going deep in grace and are, are really experiencing the flow of the joy of God's presence, right? 
we are the church. The building is a tool. And, um, and I think God's calling us to be the best church we can be. I think God's calling us to, 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 to re-engage, to, to be real in this stuff, to, to stop just talking, to stop just going through the motions, maybe some areas where we've just kind of been coasting, man, to, to re-engage. So next week, I'm actually going to start a new sermon series. Um, I've called it Consecrated. It's going to be six weeks, and over those six weeks, we're going to be talking about ways we can re-engage and reignite our faith. Ways that we can, can re-engage the redemptive flow of Christ and, uh, and, and just come alive, right? Because God's at work, and we want to be right in the heart of the flow of grace, don't we? Don't we? We want to be right in the middle of that stream. We don't want to be on the banks watching it. We don't want to be at a distance describing it. We want to be in it. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to be digging into how we can consecrate ourselves, set ourselves apart in a sense, uh, and prepare ourselves uh, that we might be ready for whatever the Spirit is going to do, right? So um, I have already put out a video. It's on the city. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to encourage you to go on the city and check it out. Um, the video really was a call to prayer, to fasting and prayer. Um, and it was just something I, when I got back from California, I'm like, man, I need to call the church to fasting and prayer. Um, we've already had a bunch of people in the city respond because I asked people to go ahead and get on there and on the thread, um, basically say, hey, if you're going to engage and pray, let us know. If you're going to fast from something, let us know what it is. Uh, thank you to everybody who's engaged and, and gotten involved in that conversation. I would encourage the rest of you, please do it, man. It's encouraging to all of us as, as we all know we're participating. Um, it allows us all to kind of stay connected in this thing. And I'm going to be pushing more information out on the city, specifically about fasting and praying in the coming weeks to help us stay focused, make sure we're doing it the right way for the right purpose, and the rest of that. Okay, so get on the city. That's our online communication tool, and get that information. If you don't know what the city is, visit our connection point in the lobby, and they will sign you up and help you get connected. All right, over the last four weeks, um, while I was uh, out of the pulpit, we brought in church planters. And that was on purpose. Uh, four weeks ago, we had a video of Leon's Crump, who planted a church in Atlanta. Over the next two weeks after that, we had Aaron Parks, um, our church plant resident that we've now sent out. And, and Aaron is, is laboring diligently right now in, in the area of Troy uh, to build a launch team to, to plant a church there. Last week, we had Joe um, Grapple who is our new church plant resident. He's, he's just at this point dreaming and praying uh, about Alton as he and, and, and Becky uh, prepare their hearts and just are asking God about what's going on there. Um, here's the thing. Church planting is at its heart missionary work. Um, and I tell our guys this all the time. When you're planting a church, you're not starting a service. You're planting the gospel. You plant the gospel and a church will grow. Right? It's not starting a service. It's not just sending out mailers. It's not just having a bunch of people gather together. It's about engaging people with the redemptive flow of the gospel. It's about inviting people to meet Jesus and have their lives absolutely changed. And so um, these guys have been coming in and, and um, talking a little bit about the principles of that missionary behavior, that missionary call, right? Now, the sermon series behind the scenes was called Disciples Who Make Disciples. We didn't brand it, so there wasn't any cool branding up here to let you know. But, but that's kind of the series that we've been in. This morning, I'm going to wrap that series up. This morning, I'm going to stay in that same flow. And uh, I'm going to actually look at a verse that Joe mentioned last week uh, in his sermon. And uh, so I want to take a look at that. And then I want to um, revisit an investment we made 
um, and some things we've been praying about a couple of years ago um, in an area of um, Central Asia. So first, let's read 1 Corinthians 9, okay? 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. So if you have your Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians 9. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the floors around you. Uh, go ahead and flip over to page 957, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 19 through 23. All right, starting at verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. The word of the Lord. All right, these are critical verses to understanding what we mean when we say that we're a community on mission, right? That's our tagline. We're walking in Christ as a community on mission. So when we're talking about being on mission, these verses really inform both why and how uh, we are on mission. So quickly, I just want to address, what does Paul mean in these verses? What is he saying? Well, he says, to the Jew, to those under the law, I become as one under the law, even though I myself am not under the law. I'm under the law of Christ, but not the Mosaic law, right? So what he's saying is, is uh, he's relating to his background. He was raised, obviously, um, a Jew. That was his ethnic and religious and cultural background. He had been trained in the Mosaic law. He had become a Pharisee of the Pharisees, which means he was a religious leader, an expert in the law of Moses. And he had aligned his life completely with it um, before, his, uh, before he came to faith in Christ, right? And, and the Mosaic law was completely um, inclusive of a very area of life. Like there was no area of life there that wasn't touched by the Mosaic law. So, so everything from, from their rituals in the morning to how they dressed, to the food they ate, to the, to the days they took off, to the days they worked. I mean, everything about their day, everything about their relationships, everything about their world was in some ways under the law. The law basically set them apart and made them unique, right? So dietary rules, cleansing rules, holiday rules, um, ceremonial expectations, what he's saying is when he's around the Jews, he honored their Jewishness. When he was around the Jews, he became like the Jews, even though he himself no longer believed as they did, even though he himself was no longer under the same burdens that they were under. He now understood that the, the law of Moses was foreshadowing the coming of Christ. And though Christ came, it freed us from, from the Mosaic law into the law of Christ, from, from these strictures and rules to this freedom of love, right? He understood that. But when he was around the Jews, he became as a Jew. And when, when he was hanging out with those who were outside the law, a strange phrase to us, uh, it doesn't mean that they were lawbreakers or, or, or whatever. It meant they were outside the law of Moses, Right? They were Gentiles. They were non-Jewish people. When he was around them, 
uh, and they had very different cultural expectations. They had very different cultural rules. He became like them, right? Now, here's the thing. Jewish people had almost no interaction with the Gentile people. And part of that was because of cultural bias and, 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 and prejudice and, and, and fear. But part of it was because their lives were so different. I, I mean, they ate different food. They, they cleansed in different ways. And all the places where they would interact, the marketplace or, or in social areas or around meals, their cultures were so different that they simply um, didn't interact and in some ways couldn't. So when Paul was around the Gentiles, he ate their food, right? He didn't show up and, and be like, oh, I've never eaten that before. That looks disgusting to me, right? He ate what was put before him, right? He didn't give an offense. He, he dressed like them, right? He didn't show up in all of his, his super traditional religious garb as his history as a Jew. Instead, he came and, and in a sense embodied the culture that he came into. To the Gentiles, he became a Gentile. He ate their food and wore their clothes and spoke their language. He learned their, their, their background. There are places where when he's speaking to Gentiles, he quotes their poetry. He understood their culture. He understood the way they thought. He, he got into their mindset. Right? He, he didn't just artificially change his jacket. Right? He actually thought, how do these people approach the world? How can I see the world through their eyes? And then how can I come alongside them in a way that is actually moving with them? Right? It wasn't that he was just artificially saying, I'm going to change a few things about me so I don't stick out. He was saying to the Gentiles, he became like a Gentile. Like he learned how they thought. He entered into their worldview so that he could understand what motivated them what drove them. To the weak, he became weak. Now, when Paul talks about the weak, he's talking about new believers who are weak in their conscience. He's talking about new believers who, who people are just fresh in the faith and, and, and they're coming into the freedom of Christ and, and they haven't quite figured out the whole freedom of grace thing. <laughs> they still have a hard time with, with some of their freedoms, right? Uh, their conscience has a way of continuing to bug them. I mean, some of you guys know how this is. If you're taught your whole life that dancing is, is sin, um, that the way your hips move is just wrong, right? You shouldn't do that sort of thing. Um, and, then, and then you get delivered from that legalism. You start understanding that, that um, you know, yeah, David danced before the Lord, and that was cool, and you can dance before the Lord too. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you figure that out. Pretty soon you might get to a place where you don't judge people who dance, but you still have a hard time dancing yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, like sometimes you understand you have a freedom, but you have a hard time entering into it. Like there's a weakness in your conscience. You still feel a little condemned, right? So he said, when, when I'm around the weak, you know what I do? I don't judge them. I don't mock them. I don't try to provoke them. I, I'm to the weak. I become weak, right? I, I, I honor their weakness, right? Why? Why would he honor their conscience, and limit his own freedom? Why would he come around Gentiles that many times probably personally provoked him and maybe even disgusted him, and yet enter into their world? Why would he come around the, the Jewish religious people that he came out of? And you guys know that when you come out of a group, sometimes you have the hardest time not despising that group. When you're, when you're delivered from you know, Pharisees, you, if you're a recovering Pharisee and you were delivered from the world of Pharisees, sometimes the hardest challenge you have in life is not being a Pharisee toward the Pharisees, being judgmental toward the judgmental. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like why would he stretch himself like that? Why would he challenge himself like that? Why would he make himself so uncomfortable? Because this is the heart of mission. 
laying down our personal comfort, laying down our personal preferences, removing every artificial offense so that people can hear and enter into the message of grace. So that if they're going to be offended, it's going to be by the gospel and not by me. If they're going to be put off, it's going to be by the message of a God who loved them and sent Jesus to die for them, to redeem them. That's the message. Not my biases. Not my judgmental heart. Not, not my personal preferences. Not my need for comfort. Not my, my sense of superiority to them. That's the heart of the mission. You guys, and it always requires us to take the first step. It always requires us to take the first step, to move out of our comfort zone. Mission always requires us to move toward others. Mission is not demanding others move toward us. It requires us to analyze and and learn about them. It requires us listening to them. It it requires us to learn about them and, and move toward them and try to understand them. The burden of mission is always on the missionary. Didn't Jesus model that very thing? Right? Did Jesus demand we come to heaven to meet him? No, and it's a good thing he didn't. That'd be a really long trip we couldn't make. You know what I'm saying? He came to us. He came to us. He set aside the experience of his glory, the comfort of the praises of heaven, and he became a servant was made man, that he might enter into our world, that he might walk alongside us, that he might uh, identify with us, relate to us, and invite us back into relationship with God. We are sent like he was sent, to step outside of our comfort zones, to understand people that are different from us, to enter into their mindset and and seek to become um, a vehicle through which God can invite. All right, some of you may remember um, a couple years ago, I traveled to Central Asia. Um, I had a great opportunity um, to go visit a team that was embedded in a small town um, in Central Asia. Um, this is a picture of me and my new friends. Uh, the people that I went with I had never met before. Uh, I met them at the airport for the first time. That was interesting. Um, and I fell in love with them. They are great. And, um, and we flew all the way to the other side of the world. And um, the reason we did it is, is we had a friend that was on this team. Um, Lauren and I had um, developed a friendship with Johanna. And uh, Johanna was on this team embedded in this town. And um, they had invited me to come. And uh, we prayed about it and decided that, that the Lord was leading us to do that. It was an incredible trip for me. It was my first time being outside of a Western culture. I mean, you want to talk about feeling like the other? <laughs> every step I took, every meal I had, every person I met, man, you're so off balance. You're like, you're walking down the street and people are just staring at you. I mean, it is so clear that you're just the awkward outsider that has no idea why you're there or what you're doing. Um, but it was incredible. It was incredible. You know, getting out of a non-Western culture, um, there were beautiful things that I had never seen before. Um, the team was integrated into the community. 
Um, and they were living with host families in this town. They didn't have hotels. They didn't have motels. Even though this, this, um, this, this village was actually kind of a gateway to one of the most beautiful hikes in Central Asia. Europeans would come through there all the time to hike over those mountains. Um, the town itself didn't have what we would call uh, a travel industry. Because in this community, the home is the marketplace. And so if you stayed there, you stayed with families. And so the team had become integrated into the community, and they stayed with these host families. And I got invited in to, to stay with Johanna's host family. And uh, this was actually the first night, that, that meal, every single day, man, they laid out this incredible spread. And um, th- they really took great pride and great joy in, in hospitality um, and, uh, and, and in making the outsider feel welcome. I mean, honestly, I, I was actually really humbled um, by the level of, of, of uh, joy they took in serving us. Um, but this team went into this community with the purpose of sharing the gospel. But they didn't know how they were necessarily going to get to that point. They knew what they could start doing was by serving the community, right? By, by becoming an expression of the love of Christ in very practical ways of serving and engaging the community. And so um, they became community development specialists, which is funny because that wasn't exactly what they were trained to do. Uh, it's just they showed up and they started asking, where, how do we serve? How do we improve? How do we, how do we become a blessing to this place? And, and they ended up working a lot on health issues, um, pre, prenatal, um, education, uh, dental care, uh, teaching the kids the value of brushing their teeth, which was always a kick. Um, and um, um, general education, looking into how they could become a source of blessing to the community. Um, what's kind of funny is I don't think they had any idea going in what they would be doing, but they discovered it as they were there. I don't know. Johanna can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, they just took the next step. And I think as they went forward, they kind of stumbled into some beautiful stuff. Um, Andreas is a great example. Um, Andreas, um, man, this guy still, when I see this picture, warms my heart. He was the sweetest, gentlest, most determined man um, this guy makes violins. He's a very skilled woodworker, very talented artisan, um, somebody who um, made a very good living and um, uh, had a very skilled and respected craft. And here he is um, there trying to figure out how he can bring his skills to bear for the good of the community. And he discovers this way of doing it by building pechkas. Pechkas are um, Russian-style stoves and uh, he figured out you could build pechkas with local materials, and it would improve not just the, the finances of helping them conserve wood and, and, and heat their homes more efficiently. It could also bring all kinds of comfort and benefits to, to the community. Instead of cooking their, their naan, their bread outside in all the weather, they could now cook it inside. Um, these changes hadn't been brought to the community, and so he, he studied, and, and the dude amazed me. I mean, this guy, like, they would light a fire in there, and he's up on the roof measuring the temperature, right? Because he wants almost 100% efficiency. He wants all the heat to be distributed through the wall and warming the home. And, um, and, and he designed these things, man. That's what he did. And, uh, and, and then he started basically teaching others how to build them, right? So he started getting apprentices. 
It wasn't just that he built the, the Pechka so people could be warm. He wanted them in an industry. So he started, he started, has apprentices right now. He has apprentices, people that, are, that he's training. He's moving into relationship with building long-term friendships and relationships with so that they can turn around and build these um, as a source of industry and blessing to the community. All right, I visited this team um, to invest in the leaders. That was, that was my invitation. It was an incredible experience. Um, I got to just share the word with them, um, to, to pray with them, to encourage them, um, and it was a real blessing to me to be able to do so. After my visit, some unsettling things were going on in the community that were outside of the control of, of everybody involved, some social and political things happening. And, and in this community, when they got unsettled, um, their knee-jerk reaction tended to be to, to kind of pull back and push out. So they would pull back into their history, their community, what they knew was safe, and they would push out new people. Um, they would push out new things. They would, because if they felt unsettled, they, they would pull back into what was familiar. And as a result, um, our team was asked to leave. Uh, the team was ejected from the village. And, um, and my friend Johanna, uh, after praying through that experience, ended up coming back to the United States. And uh, that's where she's been. Um, she's been visiting in St. Louis uh, this week. And we've had some time to just sit and talk. And as we were talking today, uh, this week, man, it just, I was like, man, you need to come and share some of this stuff. You need to come talk to Trailhead. Because I know a lot of you prayed for Johanna and for this team. I shared this information. If you were here, um, you know, we, we recruited prayer. One of, our, one of our community groups adopted Johanna and that team and, and were actively praying. And, and, um, and so there are some things that I thought, man, that would be a real blessing um, to have her come back and share. So, Johanna, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come on up. Um, Jason, if you'll bring those chairs up here. Johanna, if you'll swing over there and grab the wireless mic, that would be great. You guys say hi to Johanna. You need to bring him up here. Put him up here. Thanks, guys. Johanna. You're welcome. All right. Um, so I'm going to ask her a few questions because I really thought it would be beneficial for her to share some of her experience, especially as we're, again, talking about this whole theme of mission. Um, John, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about how you ended up in this little vil- village in Central Asia. I think it's a pretty incredible story. Yeah. Um, so is that good? Can you hear me? There we go. All right. So I knew that I was pretty interested in living in Central Asia, but I'd been in India before that, and I hated it. <laughs> And so I thought I should probably, instead of like planning my whole life around moving to this place and then realizing I hate it, I should probably go visit. So I um, just to pause there. So when she was in India, <laughs> she's like wandering the streets and on the cell phone with Lauren, and she's like, I don't know where I am. So Lauren's on Google Earth, <laughs> trying to find me, yeah. identifying where she is. She's like, Get one street over. You're in a bad place. <laughs> Oh, it's hilarious. All right. Yeah, Lauren's pretty great. Um, yeah, it was just super intense, and it was, it was not the place for me at that time. Um, so I was like, I've been planning for years to move to this place. I should go see if I actually want to move there. And so I, I went for a couple months as part of a school program. I was learning uh, a language that I ended up not using at all, but 
It was all right. So basically, I traveled several different countries and just wanted to see like who's doing good work here and who could I work with, and um, kind of was open about what that would look like. And I ended up, because of visa problems, ended up in the country that I ended up moving to. It's kind of funny how that all all those bad things work out for good. And uh, went and visited this village, and I didn't love it right away. I mean, it's beautiful, but the hills are really steep. Mm -hmm. And the guy that became my team leader had me like carry my giant suitcase up the hill and never told me that there were like taxis that could take it up. And <laughs> I was like, I can't live here, I'll die. But it was great because there weren't any foreigners that lived there. There wasn't any group of people that f were following Jesus. And it was exciting to think about breaking into a new place. It was a group of people that were an ethnic minority that had experienced a lot of, um, there, were, there had been ethnic cleansing a few years before that. And so there was a lot of trauma still, um, but also a lot of opportunity. And my background's in social work, and I knew I wanted to use that background because I thought that God made me to be good at that. So I wanted to try and find a way I could use that. And so there were opportunities there to do community health education. Um, I wasn't sure exactly what that looked like. I never would have started with prenatal care because that's really taboo there, but that's kind of how I ended up. Um, cool. Yeah. And I think also as we got there and we're like praying for the place and learning about the place, I think we were excited because we said there's so many backpackers that come here and people, most people who backpack for like two or three years, not everybody, but a lot of people are trying to figure out life. And so um, we, the longer we were there, we were also like, not only is this a good way to, to see a church or a community of people that follow Jesus here, but they have an opportunity to really bless the world because uh, mm -hmm. the world comes to them. Yeah. Tell me what you, you came to fall in love with in that community. I think when you asked me that question, the first thing I wrote was everything, which maybe isn't totally true. It's um, not. No, but a lot of it, a lot of it. Um, I mean, really primarily like the people, my host family um, was amazing. And uh, they really kind of adopted me. And uh, especially in a place where women don't have a lot of, social capital um they kind of offered me like their they, they offered me their good name in a place where your name is really important um and yeah my host sister was about my age and she was a better person than i think i will probably ever be <laughs> and uh like she was just so unselfish she would get up at five in the morning and work till midnight and did it like with a generous heart um in fact i remember one time we were doing laundry by hand so it takes a long time and it's really hard work and a big storm came up, and the wind was blowing, and it was raining. And instead of grabbing her clothes first, she grabbed mine, even though that meant that she was going to have to redo all of her laundry. Um, yeah, so just little things like that. Like, I loved her. I loved the mountains. They were beautiful. I, um, I learned how to love the hills there. And also, I, I loved that it was such, like, a tight-knit community that I would get up, eat breakfast with my family in the morning by the time I walked to the office, everyone knew what I had for breakfast. And you're like, there's something, there's some negative parts of that, but there's also some really great parts of that. And everyone was always like, how is your family? And they remember all my family's names and things like that. So. Yeah. It's a very generous culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I first arrived, I would be walking down the street and people would be staring at me. And it, it felt hostile, yeah. honestly. So when I first got there, I'm like, oh, man, I'm, this is going to be rough. Because <laughs> it felt like every time I was walking or going around a corner, there were just people like staring at me, and and so you interpret that as hostility. Um, I came to find out, well, I was just a little bit of a novelty, 
Um, and uh, they were so, it's like we, were, we went up and visited a, a walnut forest one day, and we were walking through this beautiful walnut forest, and there was a young guy who was, I think, wearing FUBU, which is hilarious. Um, and he was just walking through, through and, and, and I noticed him. And my, because I'm with people, and I'm, I'm still off balance. So when I'm off balance, I get defensive because um, I'm thinking, okay, potential threat. You know, this guy looks potentially a little threatening, looks a little scary. And, uh, and he kept kind of working toward us, and I'm like, all right, sensor's going off. The dude had been collecting walnuts. He's a young guy. And he came and he, he couldn't even speak the language. He's just giving us the walnuts he had collected. That was part of their culture. They just were so generous and so inviting. The challenge was I didn't know how to receive the invitation. The, the way they communicated, you know, so it felt like hostility. Um, which I, that was a really interesting lesson for me. Being the other makes it very difficult to hear the invitation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that, so. Because yeah, you're interpreting everything through the way that you see the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what did you learn about being a community on mission in that place? Because you were on a team mm-hmm. embedded, and, and all of you were, were outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, yeah I love my team still. Um, I still think of them as my team, even though we're scattered all over the world now, but they were, it was a group of eight people from, from, I was the only American from kind of different corners of the world. And what did I learn from being on mission with them? Yeah. Um, or what did you learn about being on mission? I, I think one of the biggest things is that being, having a mission and like being all in on that mission, uh, draws you together in a way that you never would have been drawn together before. Like some of the people on my team, I was like, I don't think we'd be friends if we were in the same place. You're super weird. Um, but I love you because we have like battled it out together um, with each other, but also more so like in the community. Like we've mourned together. Like we had days of prayer and fasting every month. And that really helped us like envision what God could do in that place and listen for what his heart was for that place. And when you do that with people, that intertwines you in a way that, I don't know that, like, mm-hmm. a Bible study would, mm-hmm. you know. Um, right. I mean, we were studying the Bible together and everything. But right. but also they were my coworkers. They were my friends. They were my church. We were the church together. Um, we were hopefully the first fruits of what the church would look like because we were the first church there. We were the first community of people that followed Jesus there. Mm-hmm. And that was an honor. But, yeah, it, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I heard it said once that you can be on mission for community and never find mission. But if you're on mission in community, you'll, st- you'll find community, mm-hmm. you know? So if you're, if you're looking for community, you're never necessarily going to find mission. And you're, you're obviously going to miss some of the deeper parts of community, but if you're on mission together, you will find community together. Take on a big impossible project that you could never do uh, yeah. together, and then you'll, you'll get closer. <laughs> so just a little glimpse. Part of the reason I came in was there was conflict on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some tensions and difficulties that they were having a hard time navigating, and they thought by bringing someone in from the outside, it would help them to navigate that. I loved that because you had such radically different personalities and such radically different backgrounds and ethnicities coming together, and they were under such high stress in this place, but they were so committed to moving forward together that the common mission allowed them to navigate all the differences that were driving them apart and really foster a genuine love. Um, what's the weirdest thing that happened to you? <laughs> I had to think about this for a long time because I feel like weird things happen to me every single day. Um, 
you know, because you're so weird, you're so just so outside of the normal community. So the two stories that I thought of, one is more funny and one is more serious. One, um, I had been washing dishes or clothes or something. My hands were wet, and I went to like try and find the light switch in our outdoor kitchen, and I touched the like wire, the exposed wire, and it shocked me real bad. And I like couldn't feel my arm for about 30 minutes. And I called my team leader and I was like, I don't know what just happened. I think I lost my arm and all this stuff. And he was like, you're fine. You'll be fine in the morning. Like, um, and he was right. But actually it was helpful because I was so mad at him that I kind of forgot about my arm. But I was fine. But that was probably one of the like. That's the same guy that made her carry her luggage up the hill. Even yeah. though she could have used a taxi. Yeah. He was intense. <laughs> Um, but then also the other story I thought of was Andreas, the guy that, um, was, that Steve talked about, he was a violin maker and he uses his hands all the time. So in the process, he ends up smashing his finger and breaking it like pretty bad. And the medical care there is like, like he went, he went like two hours away to the clinic and they took an x-ray, but then the power went out, so they had to, like, hold it up outside to try and, like, figure out, like, where it was broken. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. It was just, it was old, old system, dilapidated and things yeah. like that. So they didn't really set it. They just kind of wrapped it with some bandages. And my team leader, again, he's going to sound like a bad guy. He's a really good guy. But <laughs> he was like, Joanna, if his finger doesn't set right, he's never going to be able to play the violin again. Like, what can you do? Because I was doing community health education. <laughs> yeah. um, You're a social worker. Come I'm on, a social fix worker. the finger. Right, right. So I can send you to people in America, but I don't know anything about how to set a broken bone. Um, and so I was like freaking out and praying. And we were do we were doing assessments then. We were like interviewing um, about a tenth of the community to figure out what projects we should be doing. And that day, I was with my translator, and I was just so upset about it, I couldn't hardly do my interviews. And so I was like, we're going to stop, and we're going to pray that we find somebody that knows how to take care of this. And she was like, okay, because it was just a different concept for her. And so we did, and then literally, like, I turned the next corner, um, and there is a guy speaking English, and he is an EMT from Lake Tahoe. Mm -hmm. And, like... And it wasn't even tourist season. He was probably the first tourist of the season there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, will you please, please, please come with me and set my friend's finger? And he did. And his finger's fine. And he can play the violin. But, like, that was maybe one of the craziest stories just because I was so like, Andreas has to play the violin. Like, Yeah. Yeah. So when I arrived, for me, and I, there's, there's so many because it's such a different culture. I remember the first time when I was walking down the street, I saw a guy riding a donkey and talking on a cell phone. <laughs> That, I was that, I took his picture. Um, I'm like, this kind of encapsulates. Because it was a place where technology moved ahead in bursts, but not progressively. And so they would adopt certain things and then skip whole. So they had all aluminum electric wiring, and it was all exposed, and, um, which is why you got shocked <laughs> and, and why they had to stop insulating their roofs with, with hay because it kept catching fire. I mean, it's just weird things. But, but that was our idea, by the way. That wasn't their idea. Yeah. Hey, it's great. It's insulating. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, there, were, there were so many things that would kind of knock you off balance. The other thing that kind of really knocked me off balance, I was there in September. I was there on September 11th as a Muslim community. Um, and I felt it was, it was off. It was, it was, I felt so safe. That was weird for me. 
like as they're doing their calls to prayer and as they're like realizing how my perceptions were shaping what I thought I was going to experience and then I was there and the reality was so different. The people were so different. I just remember that like there was something, God pricked something in my heart like I'm, I love these people, you know? There was part of me was like, I could stay here. Yeah. I could, anyway. Um, so what were the key ways that you had to change to contextualize in a sense to become embedded into that culture to 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 have conversations you know i mean to move into such a foreign culture what were some of the i just love to hear some of the challenges you faced as far as when we're talking about contextualization as far as moving in so there's a lot of superficial things you change even before you like walk in which you know you wear a headscarf you change the way you dress you stuff like that but i think the harder stuff was the the things that you really had to listen to pick up on the like mm. deeper changes the um, things that you wouldn't figure out just by looking at a picture, maybe, but by living there and learning. Um, and I think also it challenges your identity because you're like, who am I? Mm. Like the way that I'm interacting in this community, the, the way I walk through town, the people I look at, the people I don't look at, the people I talk mm-hmm. to, the people I'm not allowed to talk to if I'm going to be like a good, upright woman, mm-hmm. um, that all is different. And so the way that you express who you are has to change. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to really kind of hold that identity of who you are fluidly like okay maybe i still am this person but it's going to look very different the way that i Mm -hmm. show who i am so i think one of the hardest things for me was everywhere i went like it was very much like how old are you and are you married (laughs) and why don't you have children and like and then almost that like i'm here in a professional capacity and i'm here to do something and all you want to talk about is if i have kids and it would piss me off or people would be like i i know someone i can you're just here to get married right and it would be like why in the world would I be here to get married? Like, <laughs> um, so I think learning how to navigate some of that, but then also I, I enjoyed like learning how to kind of play the game, like uh, the honor shame game, and uh, how to fight back in a way that looks like I'm being very nice. And yeah, yeah, yeah I mean it's cool because right. it was like well wow. in that culture the women yeah. don't have the social standing or the freedoms that Western women do have, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean they're powerless. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. There were some dragon women that were like scarier than any man you'll ever meet, but <laughs> didn't look like it. Right. Yeah. Right. So while she was there, obviously she she dressed very much the part, and because of the her complexion, she actually blended in. Yeah, unless my teammates were there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so if she didn't talk. She could pretty much move good. through, yeah. yeah, the culture. So she wore her uh, hijab uh-huh. and, um, you know, and I thought it was interesting when she came back to the States, she didn't want to take it off. <laughs> she kept, you know, there's that piece yeah. where she had become so identified with that culture yeah. that it was comforting to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's just interesting how when you make those cross-cultural jumps, in the beginning, they're so awkward and so hard and challenging mm-hmm. and, 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 and kind of unsettling, and yet they become comforting. And they become a part of who you are. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, tell us a little bit about how you felt um, and what you were thinking when the team got ejected from, from right. Okay, I'm probably going to cry, just so you know, because it's been two years, but it's still like, I can't believe that happened. Um, yeah, so part of, I mean, the day that we found out we had to leave, it was like this big gathering of a lot of the men in the community, and there were a lot of other political problems, and we had kind of said, like, let's have this meeting, and let's let's show you, like, why we're here and who we are to put to rest some of these rumors, like, that we're uranium miners or something. Um, that's crazy. People have nothing to do in a small town, so they make up stories. Uh, so 
we had this meeting, and as I'm watching the meeting go from like okay to not so good to like really bad, the whole time it was almost like it was like an out of body experience. Like I was looking down, watching, and I was like, no, this can't be happening. Like we know that God has called us here, and He's given us very specific promises for this place. Like um, I think, what was it Isaiah? 61 where it talks about they will be called oaks of righteousness a planting for the lord for the display of his splendor and really that whole that whole chapter we felt like god had promised us for this place um and those things hadn't happened yet or um we had other promises of like people having dreams and visions and um really the kingdom of god like exploding into this community and none of that had happened and so the whole time i'm watching it and i'm like this can't be happening something is going to happen all of a sudden and change that like whatever's happening and it didn't and and i think i was just really confused and kind of numb like no 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 this isn't real you know mm-hmm. in denial maybe um because we know that we're supposed to be here we know that god has brought us here and we know that god is sovereign and we know that he can change things and he's not and um yeah so that was part of it uh what was the question? How did I feel? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I felt numb, and I felt like, no, we are staying. Like, we are not leaving. And that wasn't mm-hmm. how the rest of my team, well, some of the people on my team didn't feel that way. And honestly, it was really good. We had our supervisor come in and kind of made the call for us. Um, but it was also cool in that time. I felt like God really spoke very clearly to us. Not that, like, oh, everything's going to be okay, and here's what I'm going to do. But I feel like he promised, like, uh, my kingdom is like yeast, and once yeast is mixed into bread dough, you can't take it out. And I feel like he also promised that I, I'm still at work here. Like, I am shaking things, and what is eternal is going to stand. And right now, it, things have to be shaken because my kingdom can't come. Like, I have to—the shaking is part of the preparation mm. for the kingdom to come in this place. Um, but I think the really hard thing was I remember talking to Laura in that day, and I was just, like, freaking out, obviously— and was like, she said something like, maybe, maybe you guys have to leave for the kingdom of God to be able to come. And I was like, no, like I have to be here for that. Like I care so much about seeing that happen. Like even if, even if this is God's plan, I'm, first of all, I'm not sure that he's still going to keep his promises. And secondly, I want to be a part of that. Um, I don't want to watch from the outside. And I think that was part of it. But then also there were people in the community that really stood up for us and took on a lot of like, like social shame, like for us in that process. And that meant a lot because it was like, you really do care about me. Mm. I really am your daughter, not just, not just I live in your house and pay you money. And um, there was this old grandma that didn't like us. um, And I didn't like her. In fact, I had prayed that she died once. So because of a different situation, (laughs) it's not as bad as it sounds like. It might be. It might be. (laughs) She was controlling her granddaughter's life and and making really bad decisions for her and things, and it really bothered me. And I was like, if she's going to die anyways, just let her die before she forces her to get married to this person. So, um, But anyway, she didn't like us all that much. She wasn't our biggest fan. I wasn't her biggest fan. And she started having all these dreams about us, like as we're preparing to leave, where um, one was like the stream that flowed through town. Um, was crystal clear and beautiful, and then all the the elders in the community that had like been not all the elders, but the people that had been trying to oust us, um, stepped into the water, and the water became polluted and dirty. 
And then as it flowed down, we were standing in it. And after it passed past us, it became clear again. Mm. And then she had another dream where there were these big boulders that were in the, in the road, on the, the only road that you really could use to get into the town. And no one could move them. And we showed up and were able to move them. I'm not sure exactly how all that happened. But she, she went to the, the elders of the community and said, like, these people are righteous people, and it is wrong for us to send them away. And, mm. like, we are bringing shame on ourselves by sending them away. And so, mm. yeah. I don't mm. know. So it felt horrible. I think it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Like, um, probably the hardest couple weeks I've ever lived in my whole life. But also it was... It, it was interesting to see God doing all these things and changing and all these people, but then that was also confusing because it was like, why are you doing that now? Like, mm-hmm. we're leaving. Why is why is the Spirit of God moving in all these crazy ways now? Yeah. There's, um, it, again, in a Western mind, some of this stuff doesn't carry the weight it should. Yeah, you should um, in, that, in that culture, they have um, an economy of honor. And it's often, it's called tonish. Um, and, and tonish is the weight you bring to the community. So the more respect you have, the more honor you have, the better deals you get in the marketplace, the, the more trust people innately give you, the, the weightier your word is, the better people treat you. The lower your tonish, the less you're, you're treated well, you're, you're often ostracized, you, you may not get deals, or people may not even deal with you at all if you have low tonish. And so they have rules about how you, this honor code, right? So when this woman steps up and says these things to the elders, you need to realize she's risking her tonish. This is, this is huge, right? For her to do this isn't the same as us standing up at a public meeting and taking a, oh, somebody might look at me strangely. You know what I'm saying? Like, she was taking very real risks. She was that compelled, um, yeah. And so when they left, the other thing that kind of struck me is they had these projects they were working on, like this prenatal yeah. book. They had worked so hard on this prenatal book, so hard. They had gone to the, to the government and gotten permission to get it printed in this minority language and to distribute it. And this is a community that, that uh, while they were under the Soviet Union, abortion was the primary method or one of the primary methods of, the primary method of, prim- of, of birth control. And, and still is. Yeah. Okay. Still is. And so... And, and so they had been taught very little about human development. They really didn't understand anything about the developing of a fetus or human development or anything. And so, so they were coming in and showing them um, pictures of children in, in, uh, you know, in, in utero. In utero, thank you. That's, I'm like, in, embryo, no, in utero. Um, <laughs> and, and doing all this education and publishing these books. And they, I mean, this is huge, right? So this is a huge project. And it's just about come to completion. We had just sent it to the printer. And <laughs> like. you get sent out. Right? It's like, Lord, why now? You know what I'm saying? Like, can you imagine working for years on this, building community teams, stretching the tonish, um, taking risks, building, having all of these focus groups? Yeah. It's like, Lord, why now? Yeah. Anyway, I, yeah. I felt all that with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it felt a little bit like the death of something or um, not to belittle anybody's experience but it felt a little bit kind of like a a miscarriage it was like this thing that we've been preparing for Mm. for a year and we were about ready to see it like come 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 into being Mm -hmm. and then it was gone um and i think that that was really hard and confusing too Um, all right so let's bring this around uh, we only have a few minutes left. I want you to, because this is what prompted me to bring her in this week. I wanted to bring you guys back up to speed and, and kind of give you the backstory. T- tell me a little bit about what's happened since some of the stuff we talked about this week. Um, so one of the things is that as a team, we moved 
to a, another city and then just spent a lot of time praying and listening and discerning where to, where to move after that. And so the team ended up moving to another location and have been planted there for, for about two years now um, and have been continuing the same projects. Um, and even like the prenatal project, they're still using those books and all those things. So it's that's cool to see how that's still in, in practice. Um, but also the team has continued to go back and visit the village. And um, basically, there's just all these things that God is doing. Um, so one is that a teammate of mine went back, and this taxi driver kept bugging and bugging and bugging. I'm like, I need to talk to you. You need to come to my house to have tea. We need to talk. And he was like, I don't know who you are. And ended up, he ended up going to his house because he bugged him so much. And the guy was like, I have read all these religious texts, and they don't mean anything to me, and I don't understand them. And it says, in, it says here about Jesus being the bread of life, but what does that even mean? How can Jesus be bread? And, and then the, the, he thought he was maybe just trying to get him to say some religious things to get him, my teammate in trouble because things were kind of dicey there. Um, and it ended up, he, he was like, he was talking about how he was on his way up to the field where, you know, everyone walks up to the field to plant and things. And he was like, no, I saw Jesus. Like Jesus was standing just a little bit ahead of me. And he was like motioning for me to like come. And then I started walking, and then he walked a little bit further, and he kept motioning, like, no, come on, come on with me. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, like, of course Jesus is still there. And of course Jesus is on his way up to the fields, because that's what everybody does there. <laughs> like, um, and it, it just was a good reminder that, like, we had been asked to leave, but that God was not, hadn't left. Um, and then other teammates send me other stories about, um, oh, we watched this movie about Mary Magdalene and the a woman that was shamed and that, that Jesus came in and brought her honor. And, and one of the older guys was like, how can it be that I've lived this long and I never knew this, this good story? And um, another lady, they were studying Revelation 21. I'm not sure why they picked that, but they were looking at it together. And then they started talking more and more about the prophets and the, the people that God had sent to tell us about who he is and and she said, like, oh, the Lamb of God, like, that means that we don't need any other sacrifices. That means that our sin is taken care of. And they were like, yes. Like, um, and other people, like, have seen other movies and were like, I'm going to show this on the bus I drive around. And my teammates were like, well, maybe that's not the best thing to, like, start off with. And so they're like, okay, fine. So they went to their house and they showed it to everyone that they knew. And then people are coming and they're talking. And, I mean, there's also people that are coming to the, the new town that they're living in because it's further away and there's less kind of prying eyes. And so they're, like, studying. They're reading the Bible and then they're going and talking to my teammates about, like, hey, I read this. What does this mean? Or, like, what do you think about this? Or what is forgiveness of sins? Like, how do I get forgiven? And they're studying with my teammates, and then they're going back to the village and talking about it with their, their neighbors or their family. Um, and that's just, like, amazing. Yeah, I want you guys to catch this. There are now self-identified Jesus followers Yeah. in this community. Some of the very same people they stayed with. People who had never understood who Jesus was, what he did or why he did it. People that were laboring diligently to fix their own problems, save themselves from their own sins, being freed. And all this is happening after they left. The seeds that were planted germinate 
And as they're going back up into this village and meeting with the same people, some of them who were hostile, some of them who were, mm-hmm. I don't know, hard to deal with, are now like, like it's this, it's like when the spirit turns on a light and it's like they're, they're like having a simple conversation and people are walking away going, well, of course Jesus is the Messiah. <laughs> of course he's the sent one. Of course I can trust in him. Of course I don't have to keep going back. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. That was, I mean, that just floored me, this sense. When, when, it, when they got sent out, it was such a devastating blow. It felt so heavy and so final. And yet God wasn't done. Yeah. It was like, all right, you had your season. Yeah. But the seeds that you planted, the Spirit honored those. Johanna, thank you for coming and sharing your story. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah and I also appreciate you guys being involved in caring and praying like, through that whole process. I know yes. Absolutely. Thank you, Jonna. Um, I'm going to put out some information on the city about how we can continue to pray for the team that is still there. And uh, I'm going to caution you with social media. There's a reason we tend to use generalizations, and that's because these are very sensitive areas and sensitive topics, and people can um, be at risk. Um, But as I wrap this up, you guys, here's the deal. (laughs) Here's the deal. Life is short. I don't know if you figured that out yet. Scripture says we're like the flower that blooms, the sun comes out, and it fades away. Think about how many generations have lived on this planet and passed before us. Our season here is short, and we need to be intentional with its meaning. There's a kingdom that is coming, that is breaking in even now, that is marked by the beauty and the righteousness and the glory of God, the wholeness, the healing, the redemptive work of Christ, where people have their hurts healed, their brokenness restored, their sins forgiven, their guilt washed away, their shame removed. And we are the ambassadors of that kingdom. We are the messengers that have been entrusted with that sacred message. The enemy wants to distract us from our real citizenship and our real message, from our real joy, from our real security, from our real mission. And the gospel has come so that you can taste the blessing of God in Christ and you can share that blessing with others. At the very end of our passage, verse 23, Paul said this, I do all of this. Johanna does all of this. We do all of this. Why? For the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. So that I might share with them in its blessing. Love is the motivation. It is love that compels us. It is love that is at the heart of the gospel. It is love that grips our hearts and moves us out. It is love that will lead us to make the sacrifices necessary to meet people far from us and different from us and and to make ourselves uncomfortable for them, to learn how to think like them and to listen like them and to enter into their worlds, even though it is foreign and maybe even threatening to us. It is love that compels us and grips us, and it is love that changes us. And as you push out to love others, listen to me, as you do that, he says, you will share with them the blessing of the gospel. You're not simply coming as the one who's received so that they can receive. You're giving as one who has been given grace so that as you share it with others, you experience more of it. 
Listen to me, it's kind of addictive. As you share the love of God with others, you taste more deeply of the love of God. You do not leave unchanged. You don't leave unblessed. Grace was never given to you that you might hold it tightly as a possession. It was given to you that you might share it with others because its blessing is released in movement. The more you give, the bigger it gets. Because you can't outgive God, you can't outsacrifice Christ. You give love, you give grace, you give comfort to people that need it, people not like you, people that are foreign from you, people that are difficult for you to relate with as you enter into their mindset, as you come to walk alongside them to get yourself out of the way. You're blessed. We should be a people who risk. We should be a people who dare boldly. We should be a people who are moved with the great commission that has been placed on us to go out and invite others into the redemptive flow of Christ, that they might taste the love of God, that they might be set free. And as they are set free, we might share with them the blessing of that freedom. What we gain will far outweigh the cost. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to put some reflection questions up on the screen. And uh, let God do what God does. We'll share communion in a moment. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are a giving God, that you love, and because you love, you give. That you are a, a, a God on mission, that even though we sinned against you, we rebelled against you, we rejected you, you would not stay rejected. You took the weight of our rejection. You took the burden of the mission to step out of your comfort, to set aside, in a sense, the benefit of the unhindered experience of your glory that you might become one of us and live the life we should have lived so that you might die the death we deserve to die. So that in your resurrection, we might be raised too. Lord, let that love so grip our hearts, so excite our minds, so inflame our hope that we can't help but follow. Light us up with that love. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.